Welcome to episode 88. Some might say this is the good luck episode. (laughs) But I want to know, are you hungry all the time and maybe that could be the reason that you're gaining weight or that you are overweight and maybe that you can't shift the weight? Or maybe you've heard that intermittent fasting is good for fat loss, but you're confused about how it works because it kind of sounds like starving yourself, right? If you have any worries about how to get started with intermittent fasting or you're unsure how to navigate hunger effectively, this episode is the one you want to listen to. Let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? How you doing? I hope you've had a great day, you're feeling good, and you've got some healthy meals planned out for the day. And you know, that you just your day's looking really good. Um, oh, and almost, I almost forgot. It's my mission to coach 150 individuals to create the sustainable, healthy lifestyle that they truly want before December 2020. And one of the major tools that I use to do that is intermittent fasting. If you listen to the show, then you know that I'm all about giving your hormones, your gut, and your body a window of rest, repair, and recovery each day by simply not constantly putting food into it. So basically, fasting, both intermittent fasting and water fasting. But one of the major challenges people perceive, and that's the important word there, perceive, one of the important or sort of challenging things that people perceive is going to happen when they fast is hunger. It seems to be this synonymous expectation. And so on today's show, I've got here with me another intermittent fasting expert, which is the first time and I'm super excited. So I've got my man, Brian Grin. He is an intermittent fasting and wellness coach, author, human movement specialist, and personal trainer. As the author of the Simple Intermittent Fasting Journal, along with the creation of the Intermittent Fasting Certification course, what began as a personal exploration into fasting has turned into a business that helps people make intermittent fasting simple, doable, and a complete lifestyle change. So he's here with us today to spread knowledge of intermittent fasting worldwide. A big warm welcome to the show. Joe Brian, how you doing, man? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. It's the middle of the day for me. It must be Friday night for you. Friday night. <clears throat> yeah, nine nine thirty. So party night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big party night. We have. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'll be in bed in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Podcasting in bedtime. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, I'm glad to be on here, and um, I'm a big fan of everything you do. So yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks. And as likewise, because, you know, I'm all about intermittent fasting as well. So I'm excited to have, you know, a bit of a chat today, specifically about hunger and how to put, how to manage it and what's going on with the body. But first, maybe let's start with how you got into intermittent fasting to begin with, because everybody's journey to finding this is different. So share with us your story. Yeah. So my, my road to intermittent fasting was actually, um, so I've been in health and wellness for over 12 years and, uh, mainly on, you know, training people in in a small studio and a little bit outside of that. And uh, I just, obviously, being in health and wellness, um, wanting to get your clients the best results possible, learning about nutrition was a big big proponent of. Um, And so I just started learning more and more. And uh, a client of mine actually brought up fasting. I never really went down that road until she brought it up and she started doing it herself and learned all about it. And uh, so I started just doing research myself. She got great results. You know, she was pre-diabetic. She had, you know, high insulin, 
and things like that. And uh, got her blood sugar and insulin back to normal and was on the road to health. And I was just really blown away by that. Um, you know, I knew about fasting, but I didn't really research it until, you know, she started to have great results. And then I was like, well, I want to do it myself because <laughs> <laughs> obviously if I'm going to start talking about it and helping clients with it, I got to start doing it myself and learning about it. And that's pretty much how I got into it. And, you know, this was four or five years ago. So ever since then, for myself, and I just turned 40, um, so just had a birthday a little while ago. And You do not look 40. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. That's, that's yeah. Well, uh, I have to say that, yeah, I, you know, a lot of that has to do some with fasting and some with eating the right things and, you know, just staying active. So, um, but yeah, it's, it sort of helped me turn back the clock a bit, especially for, for my body and energy levels. And I was like, God, I got to just help more people with this. And I had a fear in the beginning and I know a lot of people who are starting out, uh, they're probably like, God, it just, it, they're just, it's just that, you know, they're scared of, 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 of skipping a meal pretty much and, or even pushing back, um, a meal. And so getting them over that fear is like, it's, it's a liberating process and, it's something that um, I think everyone, for the most part, you know, obviously there's certain people who shouldn't, uh, you know, particularly obviously underweight people and people perhaps who are pregnant or breastfeeding and things like that. But for the most part, I think it's, it, you know, it should be tried and, and, and done by most people just to, just to see what it's like. I totally agree, and I'm very much of the of the approach that uh, the further that we get away from nature, the more that we experience a biological cost. And and humans in their natural state would regularly go between you know feast and famine, feast and famine. And I guess in our more socialized world, uh, those words are potentially trigger points for people for various reasons. But you know we simply go between letting the body rest and fueling the body, and it's really natural to go in between those. And and the introduction of um, marketing and advertising that has been so eloquently manipulative over the last 150 years has convinced us, as you said, you know, that we need to have all these meals all of the time. And and, and people freak out when you suggest that, did you know that, you know, you, you can go without breakfast? And, and people are like, whoa, I thought it was the most important meal of the day. And then we highlight, <laughs> actually, the guy that said that was um, John Harvey Kellogg in the late 1800s with his billion-dollar cereal idea. It wasn't, you know, wasn't backed by science or anything, right? So, right. yeah, it's, it's so interesting how how people approach it. What's your experience with clients uh, that, that do experience that fear of skipping a meal? Like what's the, what's the sort of, you know, their experience and what's your strategy to work with that? Yeah, I, well, for the most part, what I do is I try to find out for them, like what's, what's the most important meal for them during the day? Because, um, you know, a lot of times, especially uh, in, you know, in Western society that, like dinner is a really important meal of the day for a lot of people and they want to eat it with their family, which is obviously great. And so we sort of find out, well, what's the most important of the meal for you? If it's breakfast, then we, you don't have to skip breakfast, right? Um, you can have breakfast and perhaps even have lunch and then, you know, then start your fasting time. So I think for the most part, we sort of work backwards, find what's the most important meal for you and for, and just for your, I don't know, for socially, a lot of times dinner is a big is a big meal here. So um, yeah, we'll 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 work on then skipping breakfast per se and pushing back. Let's say if you're you're used to eating, you know, take advantage of the overnight fast 
push back breakfast an hour per day or per week, you know, just sort of move slow. Just that's how I sort of started was I, I wanted to push back breakfast an hour at a time until, you know, you get to about noon and then, you know, you're sort of in that 16, eight window, which is obviously a, a good starting point for a lot of people. My method with clients is exactly the same and uh, people that have listened to the podcast will have heard me use this phrase and I use it with my clients. It's the one tweak a week method. We just make one small change, no dump, no jumping in the deep end, you know, no toxic diet culture approaches, any, you know, and of course, to, sort of to reference today's topic that we're going to talk about, so people don't experience, you know, extreme hunger because when you throw yourself in the deep end, your body's going to freak out if you take that approach and, and you are going to experience extreme hunger, right? Yeah, for sure. I think when you first start, for a lot of people, they'll have some hunger, they're used to eating at a certain time. Um, maybe even headaches if they're used to just, uh, food or even coffee, which, you know, that's a whole other topic. Um, but yeah, so I, I think it's just sort of confronting that and just understanding that hunger, you know, comes in waves and it goes, you know, I still, even though I don't have breakfast, I still get hunger during the, in the morning sometimes, but I just sort of know that, you know, it just comes and goes and just and just to ride it out. And then once you get past like that half hour hour that you're used to eating at a certain time, um, then it sort of just goes away and you can go on with your day. Um, so that's what, I, you know, it, it's something that's going to happen. I think that if you bring it to the forefront right away with clients and let them know so they're not like obviously not completely surprised by it, then I think they'll have a better chance of overcoming it. Um, and then we can talk about other ways that, you know, obviously we can eliminate or not eliminate, but try to subside hunger as well. Yeah, I agree. And I think too, there's a, the misconception and uh, and hopefully listeners can, you know, take a lot away from today. But I think one of the most important misconceptions to or myths to debunk is that people have this and it, and it makes sense why people think this like it's totally lo a logical thought or a logical misconception, if you like, that hunger is cumulative or over a period of time hunger will accumulate in a giant pile of hunger right. and you'll be so insanely hungry that you know you'll just be eating anything that moves virtually anything that's you know growing out of the ground you'll just be like i'm i'm you know i'm going to turn into a vampire if i don't put food in my body and <laughs> studies show and physical experience of clients and you and i have both been through this too is that you know as you as you suggested you know these hormones they're pulsatile so our our body you know spits the, the hunger hormones out and they sort of pulse for a while and then they drop and then over a period of you know the first three to four days the body goes through a readaptation re phase where they are the most challenging time but hunger doesn't accumulate it doesn't end up in a big pile the body is adapting to the change and it's like oh there's not food here so the hunger hormones actually decrease over time so i think that misconception is really common that hunger will just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger i totally agree yeah i mean you know i don't know how many i've done some longer fasts just to experiment a little bit and you just and like you said like you would think oh if you do a longer fast that hunger is just going to keep growing but it doesn't actually a lot of times you sort of get in this state where, you know, and again, this is after doing years of, you know, you sort of, I, I like to have clients work their way to extended fast, but I do recommend for the most part for people to try a day or two fast and just to see how they feel because they'd be surprised that, that God, they're not, they're not more hungry than they were um, in the beginning. And um, yeah, it's definitely something to, to experience. Um, 
uh, as, as, you know, as an individual goes through a fasting journey. In your experience, how long does it take people to uh, adapt to that sort of hunger or for that, their hunger to disappear? Well, yeah, I mean, everyone's different. Um, but one of the things that really helps with controlling hunger is when you do have your meals is to have something that's satiating. For sure. You know, and, you know, for, for example, um, you know, like, obviously, if you're going to have something that's, you know, very high glycemic, um, refined, you know, refined sugars, refined carbs, um, you're going to, you know, you're going to get a raise in insulin and you're going to, you're going to sort of crash. It's like, if you, you have a, a big lunch and you just feel like you just, can't, you know, you're going to fall asleep at the desk. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you want to, right. You want to avoid that as much as possible. So, so I think when, I believe when you, when you start fasting, you start realizing, God, I want to really eat, you know, like healthy proteins, healthy fats that are long lasting and satiating. And that'll help reduce the hunger. When, when I do, when I am in a fasting state, um, and so that'll help shrink your appetite as it is. If you're eating, you know, let's just say steak and eggs, right? Like, um, that alone, good, good grass fed meat and, and good eggs with some yolk, um, you get the healthy fats, um, and you won't be hungry right, right away. And you'll be able to, you know, I always say a good place to start even before you get into fasting. I don't know if you do this, obviously just with your clients is just eat three meals a day without snacking. I think that's a nice place to start as well if you don't want to actually skip a meal. Oh, I agree too. That's definitely the place to start is that I guess most people are either grazers, they graze all day, whether it be whether you call them meals or not, mm -hmm. or they've been following the, you know, the advice from the late 80s and the 90s, which is to have, you know, six meals a day to keep your metabolism up. And studies show in the last few years that the average person uh, that, you know, listens to that advice eats somewhere between six to 11 times a day. And that is beyond excessive. So, mm -hmm. you know, just take someone to two mad or omad, you know, one meal a day, two meal a day is is a giant leap. Mm -hmm. Simply start that in, if you're in the three plus category, our first goal is to slowly, you know, one tweak a week, work towards three meals a day. Right. I, I like I like your philosophy. Actually, on my computer it says one thing at a time. <laughs> I remind myself. So, like, obviously, in anything that I do, I try to take one thing at a time because when you have a when you when you get confused, and I think this happens a lot with people trying to lose weight or trying to get more energy, is that they try to like do everything at once, right? And I like your philosophy with just do one thing at a time until you until you get really good at that. And if that's cutting out refined carbs and pasta, bread, and cereal, start with that, and then and then and then move along. And then the next one might be no snacking, you know. And then after that, perhaps I like I think a great tip is just to, to pick a time that you're going to actually stop eating uh, at night, just a hard stop at, let's just say, 7 or 8 o'clock, you know, things like that. Just try to do that and just add on one thing at a time. I really love uh, that you mentioned eating fat in the beginning and, and eating satiating nutrients. And obviously, the protein and fats are really good. But I'm wondering if you've had this experience with yourself or clients is that I find in, in the context of hunger, uh, one thing that's often uh, sort of this forgotten about factor in our sort of nutrient intake when it comes to hunger is um, just 
and and again, this is perpetuated by decades of incorrect information about around health and nutrition, and that's a whole other podcast as to why that exists. But I find as well that a lot of people are lacking their salt and electrolytes, and often the the, the brain is driving us to find food, not necessarily because we're hungry for you know macronutrients, but we're just salt depleted. And I think a lot of people are walking around salt depleted because we're not you know drinking natural water that comes from mineral springs and things like that. But as well, we're not eating high fat foods that are full of electrolytes. And, you know, when salt's so important in the body, you know, for cell to cell communication, for nerve impulses, for, you know, sending signals for the heart to pump, right? Like, it's so, so very important. But we mm-hmm. mis- our brain m- mistakes that signal uh, for either electrolytes or hydration. And, and we just go straight to food to, to, feel that, to fill that void. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And uh, I'd like to tell clients that, you know, if they're getting those, you know, those hunger rushes and those waves, uh, one way to combat that is obviously to drink like a mineral water or, you know, you got these mineral drops you could put in water um, or, you know, like a a good sea salt. And and then you'll realize, God, I I really wasn't hungry. I was probably just lacking, like you said, electrolytes and... um, and that's the reason you're feeling these these hunger waves. So I do the same thing. There's times where I have these these hunger uh, sort of waves, and I just I'll drink through them, or you know even even like a warm drink, like a warm tea helps as well uh, at night. You know, um, is that something that you suggest too? Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that get that sort of moves into the the conversation of what's more important about intermittent fasting or water fasting. Is it to do it by the book, or is it to increase compliance and get 80% of the benefits instead of 100%. So I definitely err on the side of, uh, of you know, I'd rather 80% than somebody fall off the bandwagon. So either whether it be bone broth, whether it be herbal tea, you know, whatever it is, if that increases compliance, then do that because just giving up will send you, you know, 100 steps back instead of, you know, moving forward, you know, 10. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, if they even, you know, like they'll say, oh, what about coffee? You know, and that's a debated thing that you hear. It goes back and forth. Um, but, you know, black coffee, I would say as long as, you know, there's there's, you know, they're not putting a ton of, you know, they're not putting any sweeteners in there and, and stuff. If that's going to help them get, you know, get through the fasting times, um, as long as they're not having like four or five cups, <laughs> you know, and overdoing <laughs> it too much with the coffee. But, you know, you could use coffee to your advantage as long as you're not having it late in the day. And I, I, I like to sometimes do it right before a workout just to get a little caffeine, a little boost. Um, so, you, you know, I'm not totally against black, a black coffee and using it uh, to your advantage, you know, to help you through the fast or even to as a pre-workout as well. I often separate sort of fasting into two categories and I, uh, I separate, I don't know if you do this, but I separate it into weight loss where, you know, zero calorie <laughs> drinks like coffee, you know, all right, okay, because the main factor is whether we spike insulin or not. And then I separate it into a second group, which is just overall therapeutic fasting, intermittent fasting, which is like the goal truly is to heal in that context. And actually in that context, coffee really should be in the feeding window because we're trying to do something much bigger than just burn body fat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I totally agree. And I think it, it, like, it, like you said, it goes back to the goal of the client and what they're looking for. Um, I would say most, I would say maybe 80% of the clients, maybe even more are just, you know, wanting it to, for, for weight loss or have more energy. Uh, and there's, you know, there's certain people who want some of the other benefits like, you know, cell cleansing and things like that, where perhaps 
abstaining from coffee would be the best thing to do and just do a water fast. Yeah, I agree. How do you go with um, with clients or what's your approach with people that um, do have uh, insulin resistance or that are sort of morbidly or chronically overweight? Because obviously there's a real dysfunction uh, with, with the insulin and the, the blood sugar and et cetera, et cetera. And I'm just wondering um, how you go with challenges uh, with those clients and their hunger. Yeah, it's a good question. And I, I think the first things first is l- let's see like what they're eating. And, and then when they're eating it, you know, the, the two, two, obviously the two most important things and, and try, you know, I would say first start cleaning up what they're eating. And, you know, like I've mentioned before, refined carbs and things like that. Because I, I think it, when you clean up the eating process and perhaps get them low carb and maybe a little higher fat, higher protein or, or, you know, moderate protein, um, it'll make when, when you start to, to, to uh, have longer fast, It'll just make it that much easier, and you want to sort of set that client up to succeed, as opposed to just jumping right into fasting. I mean, some clients want to do just jump right in, and and you know what, you know, go for it. But others want to sort of ease their way into it. And I think, you know, just evaluating what they're eating it, uh, what they're eating, and then and then moving into when they're eating it, and just con- con- restricting that timing, uh, that eating window uh, as small as you want. Um, as they get, you know, further and further into their fasting journey. Yeah, no, I, I definitely take the same approach, and it's it really is a long, long game for those types of people. Like we all, every it's it's human nature to want the quick fix. Like we all want to make things happen, you know, yesterday. But right. it really is a commitment to the to making change over the over the long term. I think. No doubt. Yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's like anything else. I mean, you know, um, whoever's overweight or uh, metabolically unhealthy. It didn't it, it, for them to get to a certain point. That didn't happen quickly, right? This happened over probably decades, um, and so to fix that, it's going to just take time. It's not going to happen per se in a, in, a, in a few weeks or a few months. And so, just being patient with that process is is really important. That reminds me of a conversation I had with one of my one-on-one clients in oh, maybe. 2018 now but he um we jumped on the call and he he was like you know maddie i want to lose 18 kilos um you know i want it to happen i'm ready to go i've I've done all my homework my mindset's right let's go let's go and i said um awesome And, and and just to you know sort of touch on what you're saying i said first question how long did it take to accumulate that 18 kilos and and he was in his early 50s and he said oh, i was last 18 kilos lighter when i was about 35 and i said okay so yeah. in 12 weeks you want to fix a 25 year yeah. or a 20 25 year problem <laughs> right yeah. you know it's we've, we've it's like we've walked up the mountain and instead of walking down the other side you know proportionally <laughs> everybody just wants to jump off the cliff and often when we jump off the cliff the the uh sudden stop at the bottom is quite problematic <laughs> right so, um, yeah, I really try and encourage yeah. that, you know, if we've, if we've walked our way into this problem, we just have to, at a similar pace, walk ourselves out of it. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean, that's a great point and, and that you bring that up with that client uh, just to bring that delight to him so he can understand that it's going to take some time. And, um, and yeah, that, that individual obviously was motivated, but a lot of people fall off the bandwagon, you know, one, and this is something you'll see sometimes with fasting, is if you know you don't have a good support uh, system around you. Because I will say that some people, when you mention if you if you mention to them that you're starting to do fasting, they'll they'll think like 
the wor- you know, it's the worst thing in the world, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. like it's a starvation thing. Um, and, right. So like, I, I, I try to stress the clients that, you know, you really want to be, be in a supportive environment where people understand that. And if they're not going to be supportive, then they're, you know, it's not worth telling anybody. Oh, absolutely. And then you go through this, uh, th- then that potentially actually what's just come to mind. And I've talked on a bunch of episodes with different experts on, uh, you know, emotional eating disorders and emotional uh, addiction to food, et cetera, et cetera. But if you set up your environment in a way that's not conducive to supporting you, you could actually begin some eating disorder behavior because you're keeping secret your health journey. And, and that's a really negative relationship to have with improving yourself, right? You don't want to hide this stuff from the, the people that you derive love and care from. So, yeah, it just kind of thought I just with what you said there that really triggered the that could be an eating disorder if we don't have the right supporting supportive environment. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think the main thing is just to make sure that, you know, your partner, whoever uh, that you're with or live with, that, you know, they should just be informed, make sure they get the right information. Because like you mentioned, a lot of the information that's out there is being fed by, um, you know, big food, big pharma. And they have, um, you know, certain agendas behind it. <clears throat> oh, absolutely. You know, there's not many, let's just say there's not many companies, there's not many companies that promote fasting, I always say, right? Because no one really makes money when you fast. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. You are, you can heal with intermittent yeah. fasting and water fasting. You can do all sorts of things, but you don't need to buy drugs. You don't need to buy supplements. You don't need to buy food. <laughs> right. Right. Your body's in a, you know, it's an amazing tool. And when you leave it alone, it'll heal. Oh, for the most part. Yeah, I'm with you totally. No, absolutely. Um, and so when people uh, get started with intermittent fasting, what's sort of your top couple of tips to, to get them prepared or to get them sort of moving on to, onto the, the, the first step? Yeah, so, um, well, like I mentioned before, one of the first steps is sort of finding out, um, you know, what their eating times are and which meal is sort of most important we'll, and we'll keep that one. And then the other meals, like let's say dinner is most important for them. Um, we'll take advantage of the overnight fast that you have and we'll, we'll look to push breakfast back and ease them into fasting, you know, increasing their fasting window. You know, let's say they're, 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 they're sleeping for eight hours, give or take, right. Cause we want to get good sleep and, you know, pushing that back until at least, you know, you get a, at least, you know, 12 hour fasting window. And so, easing them into that and then finding out what they're eating as well, because that'll help them stay satiated uh, throughout the fasting times. I think those are most important things. And then just why why do they want to do this, right? Like, you know, you hear it all the time, but you want to have sort of that strong why is, you know, is it because, you know, you have bad knees and you want to lose some weight because of that? Or is it because you want to just be able to play with your kids or your grandkids? Um, So really finding out why they want to, you know, (laughs) have more energy or lose weight. Um, and th- and that's a, a true driver uh, to get them where they want to go. I agree, and I think a pr- one of the big problems with uh, you know the world we're in, social media particularly, everything's so image based, and and a lot of people even well before social media mm-hmm. existed, you know, magazines, TV, stuff like that. Like a lot of people were going on these journeys, uh, diet, nutrition, whatever, simply because of skin deep kind of values of I just want to look good I just want to I want to be hot I want to look good on the beach and and th- that kind of uh mm-hmm. if you use that as stimulus for your health journey it's very fleeting and it it, it just it does not have roots deep enough in you know your emotional being to really last longer than a week or two and, and then you fall off the bandwagon so I love that you talk about the why I do the same thing in my program 
Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, that's that's so important. <clears throat> yeah, awesome, man. Well, I've really loved having you on the show. I mean, it's yeah, we need to do a bunch more episodes. But where can everybody find you online and maybe a bit about your uh, your books and your courses and stuff? Yeah, they can just go to Brian BrianGrin.com. So B R I A N G R Y N dot com. Um, they can see what what I'm up to. Um, just launched a little while ago a 21 day intermittent fasting challenge. So that's if they go to 21 dayfastingchallengecom they can check that out. And uh, that's sort of a, a a lot of times when people are just wanting to get into it. I said, well, jump on the challenge. It's three weeks and. And it's not three weeks of fasting, it's three weeks of intermittent fasting. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's sort of, it, people are like, oh, 21 days. I'm like, no, it's, yeah. So it's going to ease you into intermittent fasting, uh, daily intermittent fasting, and uh, and sort of give you daily accountability with emails, uh, PDF journal to sort of walk you through step-by-step um, step how to just get started. And uh, I think once people have that accountability, and, you know, a lot of people like challenges, so... Um, that was another reason why I wanted to do it, just to have people take some action. Because I think once you realize that really a lot of hunger, like we talked about, it's in the mind, it's psychological, um, and that it's really not a big deal once you start pushing back meals or even skipping meals, that uh, your body can work just as good as and even more, more efficiently than it did before. Uh, people start realizing that they can really take positive steps to make fasting you know, a lifestyle change. I am totally with you. And for anybody listening that's really resonating with this episode, be sure to take a screenshot, share it into your Instagram story, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever you like to hang out and tag myself and Brian. All of the links that Brian just mentioned and all our social media handles will be in the show notes below. And also don't forget, you can also find in the show notes below the link to the Health Hacks for Humans Facebook page, which is my or Facebook group, which is my group. Um, big thanks to Brian for being here, man. Thank you so much. I'm very grateful for your time and I love talking about this stuff. And I just want to know before you go, what is one piece of health information that you wish more people knew about? Well, I, I guess it would be boring if I said fasting. So I'll, <laughs> um, <laughs> I would say a simple one that I've started doing more, mainly because I got a dog, but uh, probably just to get up and move and walk. And after meals, I think it's a great time to do that. Um, I think it helps with digestion. It helps with blood sugar maintenance. And it also gets, gets you out of the kitchen and away from snacking more. And it's definitely helped me in that category. So um, <clears throat> I think a good goal is after every meal, go, go for a 10, 15, 20-minute walk. And um, I think your body will feel better and, you know, you'll have better, better blood sugar maintenance and better digestion and it'll, it'll keep you out, you know, it keeps you out of the kitchen. So. And they can listen to our podcast when they go for a walk. No, I agree. I, I, I do listen to that a lot of times. You know, now with, 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 uh, with all the social, you know, the isolation with, with COVID and stuff, um, you know, I would be in the car a lot, but I'm not in the car as much. So take, yeah, take, a, take this podcast on, the, on, on a walk. Great way to do it. Awesome. Well, Brian, thanks so much for being here. I hope we can tee up something again in a couple of months. Um, and I hope that you have an awesome day. Yeah, it'd be great. Thanks so much, man. Thanks for having me. No worries, man. See you later. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use. And we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode.
presented that feature on this podcast endeavor to provide accurate information. It cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.